covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. And we are underway with another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Hello, my name is Matt Pauley. Thanks so much for uh, being tuned in. We, uh, we know that you have a very limited amount of time and for you to take some of your time and listen to this program and listen to it on every week basis, uh, we really do appreciate it. Trying to build something with this podcast, and it doesn't build unless folks like you are listening, so it means a lot. I always say this, if you ever want to uh, tweet with me, uh, if you want to respond to something that's said on the program, if you just want to talk Brewers, feel free to uh, tweet at me, at Matt Pauley Radio, that's M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y uh, Radio. If you follow me, that's great as well. But that's a place that we can always uh, take the conversation that's going on here on Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast, and try to uh, extend it out to social media as well. We've got a big program today. Adam Rigg from uh, the Brewer Nation is going to pull double duty today. He was our first ever guest on the program on episode number one. And now not only is he going to uh, be the first one to uh, come back as a guest, he's going to be the first guest to ever uh, show up in two separate segments as we'll have him on during our social media roundtable and also uh, down on the farm. He was down in Arizona and want to talk to him about a number of things from both the uh, big league standpoint and uh, minor league standpoint and didn't have enough time in just one of those segments to get everything out. So we'll uh, we'll hold him over for a couple segments today and that's coming up here in just a little while. The World Baseball Classic, depending on when you're listening to this, the World Baseball Classic is starting to uh, wrap up. We record the program on Sunday evenings. So uh, coming up uh, on Monday, you've got uh, Game 1 between the Netherlands and Puerto Rico. Then Game 2 is on Tuesday between uh, the United States and Japan. The winners of those two games, respectively, will then play each other coming up on Wednesday, and we will have a World Baseball Classic champion. seems like this thing's been... I'm a fan of the WBC... I'm a fan of it in the sense that it's nice to have baseball on all the time. Uh, am I am I real invested in it? Not so much. I like seeing uh, the players from the Brewers do well. Obviously, I want to see Team USA do well. Uh, what happened with Team Israel was obviously just a just a fantastic story, and that was fun to watch. But am I you know, am I really locked into this thing? Not too much. It's been. Uh, I think most people are like that. It's been a nice event. It hasn't been a great event from a Brewers standpoint. You still have uh, Hiram Burgos and Jorge Lopez who are still participating. They are both with uh, Team Puerto Rico. Uh, just getting back to the Brewers, both Jonathan VR and Hernan Perez. VR from the Dominican Republic, Perez from uh, Venezuela. In fact, Perez flew back and then got a car ride through the overnight and was in the first game and was hitting home runs. He's he's uh, already doing a nice job since he's been uh, been able to get back. One of the more interesting stories, though, of the World Baseball Classic was the story of Mexico not advancing. They lose out in a tiebreaker to Venezuela, and it seemed as if Major League Baseball, which sanctions and runs the World Baseball Classic, was not real clear with Mexico exactly what was going on and they didn't explain what they have to do and you ask some people they quite simply gave Mexico some wrong information well one of the individuals from team Mexico is Brewers relief pitcher Carlos Torres Carlos Torres is one of the best interviews on the team he he wouldn't know a cliche 
if, you know, if he woke up to it every morning. Like he just, it does not come out of his mouth. And that's why for somebody like me, I really appreciate the fact that Carlos Torres just shoots from the hip, gives you answers you don't generally hear from professional athletes. And uh, he and I also went to the same university, Kansas State University, so that's another reason to like the guy. But that, that putting that obviously to the side, uh, he, he's always great in terms of what he, what he has to say. So Greg Matzik from uh, WTMJ, host of Sports Central, he was down in Arizona this past week covering spring training. He was doing all the shows from spring training, and he got the chance to talk with Carlos Torres. And they talked about uh, this decision that was made by Major League Baseball and the way they handled the situation. And Carlos went even further and had some very strong comments about Major League Baseball. Generally, I, I don't sit here and, you know, when I when I play a snippet from an interview, it's generally no more than a minute or so. This goes for a few minutes, so stick around for this. But this is Carlos Torres talking to our own Greg Matzik uh, about the situation in the World Baseball Classic and then making some more comments about... Uh, about Major League Baseball in general, and, and really interesting stuff. And you wonder, you hear these things, and you don't hear it from other people. You hear these things, and you wonder how many, uh, how many baseball players out there really feel this way about Major League Baseball. Major League Baseball told us before the game that, according to all the math and calculations uh, on the tiebreaker, the way they did the tiebreaker was. Only the teams that are in the tiebreaker, only those games are counted. So although Venezuela got 10 run ruled by Puerto Rico uh, in a professional ball game, which is embarrassing enough, uh, it doesn't count in the tiebreaker. So it's innings divided by runs scored. Uh, something along so there's those no lines. penalty for being run ruled. But even with that in consideration, they said you have to win by two. We said, okay, so we won by two. There's actually discussion in the bottom half of the ninth inning where we talked about if they scored one run we were going to balk in um, a second run so that we go in extra innings because they only had one player left on their entire roster so if you only have one player left on your entire roster you've used everybody up I think we're going to be able to score runs in 5,100 feet of altitude <laughs> non-humidor balls I think we could score two extra runs and then close out a ball game um, we actually asked for some clarifications before the game started as to what, what the calculations were, what they meant, and they just refused to respond to us and get back to us with any clarification for it. So we just said, okay, we'll beat them by two. Well, after we beat them by two, we're, you know, we're told we won and we advance uh, to the final game, um, with the tie-breaking game. And then they went ahead and told us that they were just kidding, that we had to win by three because... In the ninth inning against Italy, we did not score, we did not record an out in the bottom half of the ninth inning. And since they go by outs, uh, they can't give us credit for the ninth inning, so they only give us credit for eight. And uh, okay, well, using that logic, using the outs logic, okay, whatever. We still advance because we played eight and one half innings, because we played a top half of the eighth inning, or a top half of the ninth inning. And so we protest, we, we brought up issues in the protest, and Major League Baseball just refused to respond. Major League Baseball has to understand that um, earlier this spring, they sat there and dissed the Players Association for not just agreeing to the most simplest of rules to help the game, according to them. Well, that's not true, first of all, because we've obviously agreed to quite a few rules that are going to be implemented this year. So that flat out's a lie to begin with. But on top of that, there are some rules that we think uh, actually 
go towards the integrity of the game. And so using this as an example of the way Major League Baseball does business, you can obviously see how we need to iron out some of those rules before we implement them or we agree to implement them. Otherwise, this can be a disaster during the season, let alone the World Baseball Classic. But so is this is this dropped now from Mexico, or is or is somebody from is a representative from your team, your country, going to try and and, and get to the bottom of this? I had asked um, uh, an individual on the airplane um, where they were going to go with it. Now, obviously, they're going to write reports, and they're going to you know this it's not dropped by uh, by Mexico. Hopefully, not uh, ever. And on top of that. I have to imagine that the Federation, uh, Mexico team, Mexico, whoever's in charge of the, the, the team themselves has to get some kind of reward for advancing. So using that logic, I hope they sue Major League Baseball for, the, for as far as Venezuela goes, because Venezuela should not be in it. We should be. That's the reason why we can't agree to some of the things that they wanted. One of the, one of the rules they, they wanted to throw out there was um, limit the visits to the pitcher. Sure. We actually lost the game last year because of that. And not because it was a rule, because the Major League Baseball told the umpires to start trying to implement that. What happened was that there was a guy at first base, goes to steal second base late in a ball game in Seattle. Our catcher comes up, tries to throw him out, and gets hurt. A little banged up, throwing it down to second base. Not hurt, they had to come out of the game, but the coaches and everything came out to talk to him to make sure he's okay. Now we have a guy at second base for the first time in the inning. We find out he's okay. He goes back behind the plate and realizes that he needs to discuss the signs at first base because we haven't discussed the signs. And it was an enormous ordeal. We had umpires get in the way. We had umpires. We Our shortstop actually walked over and said, hey, what's the signs? I'll relay them to the pitcher. And when he got towards the pitcher, another umpire said, hey, if you tell him what he sold you, I'm going to throw you out of the ballgame, which there's no rule for that. There's no precedence to throw him out of the ballgame. So Major League Baseball tells him to do something. Umpires just do it. And so... We couldn't tell the pitcher what the signs were, so we had no option but to give one sign. So we gave one sign, it was relayed, and what happened, they got a hit. Late in a ball game, and what happened, they won by one run. So, if you want to limit the amount of visits to the pitcher, that's impossible. Things happen in a ball game where you have to change signs. Maybe they have them, maybe they got them, maybe they picked them up, maybe it's the first time they got somebody at second base for the starter in, you know, four innings, who knows. And there, there's a you know, coach has to come out and talk to him later to, to calm him down. Then they have to change the signs. But now you're saying that we can't do that. Yeah. So there is integrity of the game that's that's concern in some of these rules that they're trying to implement. So that was Carlos Torres as uh, he talked about so many things in terms of uh, the World Baseball Classic and Mexico not advancing and rules changes and the situation last year in, in Seattle. Just really interesting stuff from uh, from Carlos Torres and uh, that was a conversation he had or a part of a conversation he had with uh, Greg Matzik on Sports Central this past week. You can hear Sports Central weeknights from uh, 6 to 9 on 620 WT TMJ. So we'll see what happens with uh, Puerto Rico, with uh, Hiram Burgos and Jorge Lopez, and we'll go from there with uh, with Brewers' participation in the World Baseball Classic. And before you know it, the WBC is going to be in the books, and we'll be waiting another four years for another WBC. It doesn't matter if it's right in the middle of the summer or winter. There's always news about the Brewers. Let's look back at the week that was with Matt's Headlines of the Week. A few more headlines this week than we've had in recent weeks, and you're going to have that as spring training continues on. First off, 
The Brewers have announced their opening day starter. They will uh, open against the Rockies at home coming up on April 3rd. It's going to be Junior Guerra. And let's just take a moment and think about what this guy has accomplished in the course of less than a year. Someone who was a waiver claim pickup in the offseason, did not make the team out of spring training last year, went to AAA Colorado Springs, a guy who at one point kind of thought his career was over, stuck around, pitched in Italy and Mexico and Spain and Venezuela and independent ball, comes up last year with very few expectations placed upon him, and boom, he uh, he is the opening day starter a year later. Just a just a fantastic st- uh, story, and uh, so Junior Guerra is your opening day starter. Not a huge surprise there. I guess you could have considered uh, Zach Davies in, in there as well, but Junior Guerra, after what he did last year, certainly uh, deserves it. Speaking of uh, Zach Davies, he pitched on Sunday. He had a little bit of a, uh, a not so great outing. His uh, last time out in spring training, well. He was really good on Sunday. He had a perfect game through four innings. Uh, he ends up uh, going out and throwing five and a third innings. He struck out six. He didn't walk anyone. Just a really good performance from Zach Davies, and and that was good to see. And the competition for the starting pitching is it's a big question at this point for the Brewers because for the most part everybody's pitching well. The only guy in that group that is not pitching particularly well is Matt Garza. And he's the guy that you're paying the most amount of money. And sometimes in baseball, look, I'm not I'm not breaking any news here. Sometimes in baseball, there are some decisions that are made more based off money than performance. Sometimes you've got a guy who doesn't have any options left and you don't want to lose him. So you end up being forced to keep a guy on a big league roster. Those things happen. But Matt Garza right now has an 8.31 ERA, and he's appeared in four games. The only other guy that his numbers are not great is Jimmy Nelson. He's appeared in one less game, and he has one negative outing. You know, Zach Davies has a negative outing. Uh, Davies, in his uh, second-to-last appearance, uh, gave up six runs and three innings, but he gets locked back in. Jimmy Nelson had his one negative outing when he appeared on Friday against uh, Kansas City. He gave up five runs on six hits and three innings. Now, if that continues on, we'll start to talk about Nelson kind of the same way we're talking about Garza. But in spring training, guys are going to have a bad outing or two. But Chase Anderson has pitched well. Tommy Malone has pitched well. And you just don't know what's going to happen with the starting rotation because sometimes decisions are, are made for, for multiple reasons. And there's a lot of reasons to keep Matt Garza around. You're going to pay him $13 million almost no matter what this year. And in a perfect world, he would pitch well enough that maybe you could trade him and get somebody to eat some of that contract. Nobody's going to eat all of the contract, but maybe you can get somebody to uh, to eat some of the contract. From a minor league standpoint this week, uh, Colorado Springs is going to be, at least at the beginning of the season, loaded in terms of prospect outfielders. As Lewis Brinson, Ryan Cordell, Brett Phillips were all optioned to Colorado Springs. Don't forget... Michael Reed, 
who's put up really big numbers at AAA, and Kyle Wren, who had a fantastic season last year, they're expected to be there as well. So those are your five outfielders at AAA. That is that is a great group. Josh Hader has been sent down as well. You know, a bunch of those guys are going to appear for the Brewers at some point during the course of, of this season. Brunson's going to get up. Hader's going to get up, and uh, we'll see who else happens to get up as well. But that's, uh, that's going to be a fun group to watch as they move forward, and those are this week's Headlines of the Week. After every Brewers game, signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable, and it starts now. Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast empowered by WTMJ Mobile, does continue on. Appreciate you being tuned in, and uh, as we move into our social media roundtable, we've gotten to the point where we circle back to the first guest we ever had, uh, what, about six weeks ago here on Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Very happy to uh, welcome in. Uh, we've got Adam Rigg on from uh, the Brewer Nation. He also is a contributor to uh, FanRag Sports. Adam, good to talk to you. How are you doing today? Matthew, I'm doing well. Thank you very much. It's a little bit cold here in Wisconsin, as you know, a little bit of snow. Uh, last week, but we're, we're doing okay getting on to the nitty-gritty here for, uh, for opening day. You spent some time down in uh, in Arizona. I, I generally start these interviews with very general questions. During your time uh, in Maryvale, what uh, what jumped out at you? Uh, I've never been there before, which uh, for anybody that has followed my writing or has heard me on the radio over the years uh, as a caller or whatever, um, they know how Brewer's crazy I happen to be. I wouldn't have been writing the Brewer Nation for over a decade if I wasn't. So, I haven't, but still, I've never been to spring training before. So, having been down there, uh, the first thing that jumped out was definitely the accessibility of the players. Everybody talks about it. The players, they say, well, if you want to get an autograph uh, and you have the means to get to spring training, do it because the players are much more personable uh, and available and willing to take a few minutes out of their day because, let's be truthful, at Miller Park, these guys get to the ballpark 2 o'clock in the afternoon, if not sooner, and they're preparing the entire time. And by the time the game rolls around, they're already you know, in the game mode, focused. And by the time the game is over, they just want to get home uh, for any of those night games. So that was definitely the first thing that jumped out because everything happens in the morning. The games are over by you know, 4 o'clock in the afternoon, you know, give or take. And these guys are, are able to throw a little extra autograph love to the fans' lane. And Maryville itself is very nice because everything is condensed into one uh, one complex. For example, the Brewers uh, they had a road game at uh, Scottsdale against the Giants. And the major league park is in one spot, but all the minor league fields are like around the corner down the block. So it's, it's nice to have Maryville where everything's together. Then they the park and just kind of walk wherever they want to. You know, you got to buy a ticket to the main field. But other than that, it's, uh, it's free viewing, and you can watch workouts, games, and everything else in the backfield. It's really great that way. But yeah, it was a great experience from top to bottom, and you know, I was really happy that I had the chance to do that this year. Uh, as we start to look at some of the storylines, and, and we record this on Sunday evening, as we generally do, uh, still a fair amount of time left in spring training, but also we're at a point now where uh, opening day is right around the corner, and we've spoken every week about the starting pitching rotation, and Matt Garza did not have an especially good last appearance. Everybody else seemingly is pitching pretty well, whether it's Chase Anderson or Tommy Malone or uh, Jimmy no- I mean, everybody. The other six guys that are kind of in this seven-man competition for starting rotation spots are all, for the most part, pitching well. Are, are we 
going to see the end of Matt Garza as a brewer here in about two or three weeks? You know, I've been trying to decipher that code, and I don't know at this point. The Brewers, I wrote about this a little bit the other day, the Brewers certainly don't owe Matt Garza anything at this point. Yeah, he's under contract for one more season. There's a weird vesting option with the health contingency plan that clearly will not be fulfilled. I think that waves bye-bye sometime during the 2015 season, to be honest. But this is his last season in town. He's not a part of the future. Uh, he's not going to be part of the next contender. Uh, even if the Brewers way overshoot their mark and surprise and are in a wild card chase in August this year, probably not going to be because of some revelation of Matt Garza. All that said, Garza has been a model citizen this spring by all accounts. He's been very good about mentoring the young guys. And Garza's been in that area for a number of years. He's always he's among that group of players that really understands what it was like and remembers what it was like when he was a rookie, when guys kind of took him under their wing, showed him the ropes, you know, helped him learn how things work in the big leagues. And with uh, uh, so much more young talent coming in, you know, that's something that Garza's been very good about uh, passing along. And the fact that he's got that ability uh, to do that in his dealing situation, it's good that he's still doing that, despite the fact that he may or may not be in the rotation. Now, whether he will, I have a feeling that he's going to start the season in the rotation. Uh, if out of no other uh, situation, then he's got, obviously, no minor league uh, options. He can't be sent out without just completely being cut. And they're probably going to give him a chance to fail uh, or succeed if they are able to get something out of him and get him to perform over the first half of the season and, and somehow move him to a contender. Or even if he just needs an extra starter, great, so be it. Uh, the Brewers have not been very happy about sinking costs over the years, uh, but at the same time, there's no payroll this year. It's it's Ryan Braun, it's Matt Garza, it's a bunch of guys basically making the league minimum. Um, so, well, maybe Natalie Feliz, I guess, is a new guy that's making a lot of money. Uh, Eric Thames. But, you know, these guys are all making low dollars. So the fact that Garza's on the team making what he's making doesn't hurt either. Um, all that said, the, the crux of your question, I think he'll be in the rotation. I guess I do, only because Chase Anderson pitched well at the end of last year. I think they could either send him to AAA or use him in a long relief role. Same with Tommy Malone, who's actually got more experience relieving. Than Anderson does. I think they'll find a way to make all the pieces fit, and they don't want to sacrifice the depth at this point. So the the million dollar, I guess the thirteen million dollar question, if I want to do a bad pun, is he worth more pitching for you, or is he you're barring you trading him away, where the other team picks up a portion of his salary? You're paying him thirteen million dollars no matter what this year. It's a different situation as from last year. If they would have released him last year, then they would have had to pay the rest of last year's salary and pay him this year's salary. We're now now you're into that final year, so you're paying him thirteen million dollars no matter what. As even if your scenario plays out where he begins the season in the starting rotation, do you think for that thirteen million dollars he's worth more as a member of the Brewers or worth more as not a member of the Brewers, if that makes any sense? No, I know what you're saying. Is it better for the team's long term view if he's not pitching for the team this year? And because if he wasn't if he isn't pitching for the team, I should say, then that gives another younger guy an opportunity. And Tommy Malone is not young. Chase Anderson is not young. 
uh, both of those guys probably won't be here for the next contending Brewers team either. Uh, however, they do offer more in terms of short-term value and potentially long-term investment if you're able to, again, get something out of these guys for the next couple of seasons. Um, Malone, Garza, Anderson, you know, you mentioned seven guys for five spots. So three, those three guys, if all three of them were gone, they would open up a spot for Josh Hader. And Hader's uh, he's coming at some point. He'll be up this season and I think making starts for the Brewers in 2017. So you put all that together, and all three of these guys, at some point, the, the ticker's going to run out. The, the sand is going to finish in the hourglass, so to speak. And I think that you start the season with whoever you do, if it's Garza, if it's otherwise, and you know they're all just kind of uh, holding, holding the seat warm. So for that, I think that Garza can still provide guidance. They're still... People make fun of veteran presence on Twitter all the time. Uh, but that there is still something to be said for that. Guys that know how to prepare the right way. Aaron Hill was very valuable to this team for the three months that he played here last year because I was probably, there's probably three or four or five guys that told me when Hill left, you know, that they got a lot out of him watching him prepare, watching him go about his business, watching him trust his process. Early in the season, not to digress too much, but Aaron Hill was terrible at the plate. But he was getting good contact with good process, but bad results. And he said he trusted the process and he started to hit. And he got himself hitting so well that he was able to be traded uh, for actually uh, an asset uh, when he, they traded him to the Red Sox. So, but watching guys prepare, that, that's what all these young guys, this is what I wrote about today for Fanrag. These young guys getting to watch the major leaguers in spring training and big league camp, watch how they go about their business and prepare to be the best players in the world at playing baseball, it's invaluable. So, a guy like Garza's case, he's been around. He's pretty much seen it all. You know, he's pitched in the postseason. Uh, he's pitched for, you know, championship level baseball. He's got a no hitter under his belt. You know, he's performed at the elite level. So, if he can pass along that knowledge and that experience in any small way, then at least for a few months, it's worth it. So, if you want to cut him towards the end of the season, like Jeff Supon, like Kyle Loesch, and some of these failed signings that should never have gotten that extra last year, but. You know, that's what the signings were at the time. Then I still think there's value out of Matt Garza if he's on the team. We're talking with uh, Adam Rigg. He uh, runs the Brewer Nation. You, uh, he also uh, is a contributor to uh, FanRag Sports, which is uh, just they, they do a great job. That's the that's the publication that's got uh, John Heyman involved in and love all the stuff that they do uh, there at FanRag Sports. Uh, Scooter Jeanette. Uh, through ten games in spring, three fifty-seven. Uh, he's he seems to be uh, hitting the ball pretty well. He's not embarrassing himself uh, in the field. He's had some good moments and some bad moments, but I don't think he's had any overly embarrassing moments. Have you been impressed uh, with what he's been able to do so far as he tries to make that transition to become a utility guy? I have. I've, I've been impressed with Scooter. Uh, not only what he's done, but how he's gone about it. And I'll circle back to that in a second. But like you said, nothing overly embarrassing. He had his first game in right field. He had a play where he got turned around a couple of times and couldn't make the play. But, you know, that's experience building, as you well know, and I'm sure your listeners are, are savvy enough to realize that as well. But Scooter's doing something this year that he's never done before, you know, playing both corner outfield spots, playing third base, and then also still playing second base a little bit. Now, he's an interesting guy, I think, because he could start off on the major league roster as another utility guy. I also think that there's a chance they could send him down to the minor leagues to start the year so that he can get more work at those corner outfield spots at third base so that he can get 
just a little bit more seasoning, a little bit more comfortable uh, covering all those positions for the team because they are they're very versatile on the bench with, with the exception of who I think is going to make the team in Jesus Aguilar. Uh, but that aside, uh, they've got Aaron Perez, you know, they've got Kirk Newenhead who can handle all the outfield spots. Travis Shaw handles both corners if Eric Thames needs a day off at first. Jonathan Viardi starting second baseman can handle shortstops, you know, for Arcia if there's no true shortstop back that makes the team. So I wouldn't be surprised if he maybe starts the year at Triple A through no fault of his own, or maybe a Yadiel Rivera, more of a true shortstop backup, uh, starts the team, starts with the team rather, uh, when camp breaks. But like I said, about how that's not about his business. Scooter is one of the most affable guys in the clubhouse, always willing to talk to anybody, uh, media included, and you know, just willing to have a good conversation. He gives thoughtful quotes, uh, you know, good. He, he actually considers what he's saying before he says it. He's a very um, insightful guy in the beginning of baseball. Uh, you take a guy like that, you present him with his, hey, you know, you're not a second baseman anymore. The only thing you've ever done uh, for the last what was the last several years in professional baseball, and he was drafted as a shortstop, of course. But this is what we're going to do with you. You don't have a choice. It's adapt or you know be cut basically, or be sent to the minors and you know with no hope of getting back to the big leagues. So the fact that he's come in, and I was down in camp early. Uh, you know, we're right when games started. So there, you know, what a week, ten days in camp, and then games started. And I was right down there right for the first game against UW Milwaukee. And Jeanette was smiling. He was laughing. He was giving guys hell in the in the clubhouse. He's doing things that you know all the players normally do with each other, and just with uh, with a ferocity, just attacking his opportunity to grow as a baseball player and contribute to the to the ball club. So I think that what they've got in him, if they can make him passable at all those different defensive spots, is they've got a valuable asset uh, for a number of years to come. Yet, let's. Uh, you mentioned Jesus Aguilar, and he was been a great surprise and Eric Thames was really kind of struggling at the plate he's finally gotten things going a bit four game hit streak has uh, six hits in those last uh, four games also has a couple uh, two three walks in his last two games as his on base percentage has gone up significantly as well do you think Thames was uh, was feeling any pressure with the way uh, Aguilar was hitting the ball well maybe to a degree only because you know this is other guy who's crushing it while I'm still, you know, readjusting. But at the same point, I'm sure that the Brewers, if they even felt they needed to, reassured him, you know, in that, hey, we know you're coming back from three years in Korea. It's a different game over here. The velocity is so much more at the plate that you've got to, we know you have to adjust. So don't worry about it. Just, you know, do your thing, get yourself ready. So that being said, the Brewers also signed into a three-year contract. So as much as Aguilar is, and he is, just crushing baseballs right now. Um, I don't think James has anything to worry about. I think James is a very confident individual. Uh, I think he sees this trip back to his major league baseball as a, a great opportunity, and when he's able and you know, obviously willing to take the biggest advantage of and, and really reestablish himself as a major league baseball caliber player, because the Korean baseball organization is different than major league baseball. And uh, Thames wants to rise to that challenge, and, and I think he will. Like you said, he was, he was taking a couple of weeks. He didn't have a hit when I was in Arizona, but he's really come on lately, and I think that's what we're going to see. Thames can hit average, hopefully, uh, with not as much power as Chris Carter, 41 home runs last year, leading the league in that. But uh, Thames should provide 25, 30 home runs, and he's going to steal some bases, which is a nice uh, asset out of your first baseman as well. So I think Thames has been around into his own game. Uh, 
spring training is still short of a sample size anyway, and he was dealing with a sore knee for a couple of days. But I think things is going to be just fine, and I think he'll be the starting first base in the majority of this season. All right, last question for you in terms of our social media roundtable segment. Uh, give me your prediction. Just a couple weeks left here, two, three weeks left in spring training. What's your prediction in terms of what the catching situation is going to look like? Uh, um, I think right now, if I, if I had to say right now, if I had to make the decision today, uh, it's going to be Jet Bandy and Manny Pena. If only because Andrew Susak has been hurt and hasn't been able to, to do what he needs to do. He's got that sort of trapezius, I think is what the report was. That is was uh, trapezius muscle that originally said stiff neck. But if he's not unable to, you know, answer the bell and, and get in there and, and keep going with this three-headed competition, then it's, it's going to be those other two guys. And for a while, I'll be honest, when they traded for Susak at the end of last season and they acquired Bandy in the off season, I'm thinking, well, one of those two guys will start. Manny Pena will back him up because he's the one who's out of options anyway. And he's really settled in last year as a nice, uh, solid complement in the catching group at uh, September last year. But with the way Manny Pena is hitting right now and the, what he's shown this spring, uh, he's, thrown, he's shown a very good throwing arm. Uh, and like I said, he's really been doing well at the plate, and he handled the pitching staff well. Uh, we know that from what we've seen. Uh, he might end up the starter on opening day. Yeah. Uh, he he has a good rapport with Junior Garrett from last year. We know that. Uh, so he could very well be the starter. I'll tell you this, though. Whether it's Bandy or Susak, because I think Pena's on the team. Uh, I think with the option situation, if nothing else, he's on the team. And they'll be one guy starting here and one guy starting there so that um, you know they each get reps. But regardless of which one it is in Milwaukee, I think that both of them, uh, Pena and Bandy or Susak, will start far more than Martin Maldonado did and far less than Luke Roy did. I'm not sure we're going to have a pure starting catcher situation without you know, catching up 120 games. It wouldn't be surprising to me if the split was more like you know, 85-65, you know, somewhere in that range with maybe a, a few starts straight up to the other guys in September. But, you know, it's, it's going to be a group, I think, it's going to be a productive group, and Council just, you know, he has to ride the hot hand at the plate. As we sit right now, recording this on Sunday night, Manny Pena's numbers at the plate, and again, catchers, I understand, are judged more on what they do behind the plate than what they do at the plate, but Manny Pena right now is sitting with a 400 average. He has two home runs, both coming in his last couple games. He's slugging 686. He's got an OPS of 1.102. I mean, these are very unexpected and incredible offensive numbers that Pena is putting up, and it's spring training, so you you take it with a grain of salt. But my goodness, if if he's still doing this in two weeks, you got to really uh, take a look at him. And and you're right, he may end up being that opening day catcher. Absolutely, yeah, he, he's doing what he needs to do. The, you know, they said Council said it was a wide open between the three of them, the two spots in the major league ball club. And Pena obviously took that to heart and said, I can win myself a starting gig, so let's go out and do it. Make sure to follow Adam and the Brewer Nation at Brewer Nation uh, on Twitter and check out thebrewernation.com. We're also uh, head over and uh, see what he has to write over at FanRag Sports. The future of the Brewers organization has never been more important than it is right now. It's time to get an inside look at what's taking place throughout the Brewers minor league affiliates as we go down on the farm. It is time to go down on the farm as Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile, continues for the first time ever. We're holding over a guest from the social media roundtable into the Down on the Farm segment. 
And uh, I guess that it's uh, it's appropriate because Adam was our first ever guest on our first ever podcast. Now he's the first guy to ever be held over for a second segment. Thanks for uh, thanks for sticking around, Adam. Boom. No, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Happy to do it. Uh, all right, so a few news and notes from the past week in terms of guys uh, being sent down to minor league camp officially. Uh, let's see, you've got... Uh, Jorge Lopez goes to uh, Biloxi. Damian Magnifico goes to Colorado Springs. Josh Hader to Colorado Springs. Lewis Brinson to Colorado Springs. Ryan Cordell to Colorado Springs. Brett Phillips to uh, Colorado Springs. Adrian Hauser uh, went to Biloxi. Uh, those are the guys that I uh, that I noticed first and foremost. First off, any surprises with uh, what we've seen so far in terms of uh, the reassignment to minor league camp? I don't know. But one one surprise probably is Brett Phillips. Um, he played Double A all last season and struggled a little bit at the plate. Um, he, I talked to him at Brewers on deck back in January and again uh, when I was there in Arizona, and he said that he had identified the issues. You know, he knew pretty much what it was. Um, selection was a big deal. Uh, he ended up chasing a lot of bad pitches that he should have laid off. Um, trying to impress, trying to do you know what he thought was necessary, not necessarily selling off for power, uh, but you know he probably had to, his swing was a little bit long, you know he he realizes those things, he's made the adjustments, uh, he, he had a couple of nice games in spring, but I think the fact that the Brewers wanted to show the confidence in him to send him to AAA to Colorado Springs and let him stay with Brinson Cordell, that group of outfielders, and really grow and mature together. I think the fact that they wanted to, to show that uh, for Phillips really is a nice, you know, a nice feather in his cap. You know, it's it's one thing to struggle, it's one thing to, you know, make adjustments, try to come back and do all that, but it's a it's a nice shot in the arm to get promoted. You know, it's going to be a much much better offensive environment for him in Colorado Springs in the thin air up there than it was down in Biloxi, uh, flat out. So if he can use those tweaks, use the changes that he's made, those adjustments, and really see some early success. I think it's going to go a long way to his confidence and to really getting him back on the track that they saw out of him when they acquired him uh, back in the Carlos Gomez deal. Um, the other thing is that Jorge Lopez, I wouldn't really call it a shock based on what happened last year. But right, on the official transaction log, Lopez was optioned to double-A Biloxi, and he was one of those guys along with Taylor Youngman when they were sent down to AAA, they struggled mightily. Uh, they needed to get out of the environment. They both ended up back at AA Biloxi, where sea level, they were much better pitchers. Their breaking pitches worked the way they expected them to, and that really helped them rebuild themselves, you know, re, re mentally rebuild themselves back up into uh, to big league caliber pitchers. So the fact that Lopez went to Biloxi. After an offseason where David Stearns was quoted as saying, um, we may have to make decisions based on the individual personnel, you know, whether or not sending them to the environments with the Sky Sox in Colorado Springs makes sense. And if it doesn't for that individual player, then we're not going to send them there. So the fact that Lopez is in double A, not totally shocking, because uh, we knew he wasn't going to make the big league team, but the fact that he was the first example that fulfilled that prophecy out of Stearns, just goes to show you that uh, they're paying attention and they're going to do what's best for the development of the player. All right, you said a lot right there, and let's get into some of it. First off, with Brett Phillips, I was—I wouldn't say I was concerned, but the—I'm I, I, glad to see him at AAA this year 
because even though two years ago he only played about a month at Double A, this would have been his third year at Double A. And again, I know it wouldn't be his third full year, but it would have been his third year of making appearance at Double A. At some point, with a guy like him, don't you have to just push him up that next level and, and you know sink or swim there to see kind of what you got, especially a, a guy coming off a year that struggled a bit. Absolutely. You know, I think I think challenges can be good for people. You look at uh, Clint Coulter, a guy who was an early round draft pick a number of years ago, um, who was wallowing basically in high A with the Brevard County Manatees that no longer exist. Uh, but that offensive environment was horrible for hitters. And they said, you know what? It's a, it, we, need a, we need an outfield at double A. Get up there, see what you can do. And he just exploded over the next couple of weeks. Uh, really answered the bell, responded to the challenge. And I think Phillips has the exact same opportunity in front of him. And if you know anything about Phillips' demeanor, I know you do, Matt, but the listeners, if they know anything about Phillips' demeanor, the way he carries himself and, and the confidence that just exudes out of him, I think it's going to be a good thing for him. I think he'll, he'll rise to the occasion for sure. So here's my philosophy on Colorado Springs. And again, I've got a unique take on it because I spent six years as a broadcaster there. My final year was the first year of the Brewers affiliation, and there absolutely were challenges that I don't think the Brewers expected to have their first year in Colorado Springs, and they're still trying to adjust to it. My basic philosophy is Colorado Springs is a great place when a pitcher is on his way up because if he can pitch in Colorado Springs, he can pitch anywhere. And I think we've seen a lot of guys get to Milwaukee who may, you know, Junior Guerra wasn't killing it in the Pacific Coast League, but he came up and he pitched well. Um, before before Taylor Youngman's most recent struggles, uh, but when he came up and had all that success two years ago, his numbers were not good in Colorado Springs. He goes up and he pitches well in the big leagues. So even though numbers might not look good in Colorado Springs, these guys seem to be getting prepared for the big leagues, and they seem to be uh, doing a pretty nice job. So I, I've got the interesting philosophy, I guess you can say, that Colorado Springs is actually a good place for pitchers on the way up because I think it readies them to pitch uh, even more so, even if the numbers of AAA don't play out. But I also don't think it's a good place for a guy on the way back down. And we've seen that with guys coming back from Milwaukee. They're trying to fix something. That's not a place that you go to fix stuff. So I believe I, I totally agree with having guys go to Biloxi and not to Colorado Springs when they're trying to get right. Jorge Lopez is kind of a weird situation. And there's the weather aspect of it as well. You don't want, uh, especially in the month of, of April and even parts of May, you don't don't want some of your most important arms in the organization pitching in that cold weather where you're going to get snow outs, you're going to get all kinds of crazy stuff. But Lopez is an interesting situation because he's been up to AAA, uh, not really even counting the, the cup of coffee he had in, in the big leagues, just looking at what he's done at the last couple of years. He's been to AAA, he hasn't had a lot of success there, Been gone back down to Biloxi, had success there. Like, uh, it's got to be a tough decision and, and a tough process right now for the Brewers to decide what they want to do with him and where they want to place him. I couldn't agree more on that. It's it's delicate, too, right, because they have to weigh all these factors. You need a guy like a, a Josh Hader, for example, who's got a totally different mindset about Colorado Springs. He got a taste of it last year, struggled a little bit early, adjusted, and he said that he's – very, very willing, and he wants to get back in that environment and attack it and, and really learn how to pitch there. 
uh, even more so and just become that much of a better pitcher, like you said. So it's delicate. You have to have the guy with the right psyche. And not to say Lopez or young men are mentally weak. That's not where, where I'm going with that. But you have to have a guy with the right mindset. Like Jacob Barnes, for example. He was very uh, vocal last year about, because he was awesome in Colorado Springs, uh, numbers and uh, everything else. So when he made it to the big leagues, uh, based in part on those numbers at AAA, uh, he was quick to say, hey, you know, I figured out how to pitch here, and I'm better for it. Willie Peralta last year, when he got sent down, uh, and he was down in AAA for a long stretch. And when he finally came back up, this one of the first things he said following his first appearance back in the big leagues to the media in Milwaukee, and I was there with my hand up in the recorder, uh, he said, I had to have everything so perfect, mechanics, delivery, release point, everything had to be so perfect for my stuff to work properly in Colorado Springs that when I got back down to, to Milwaukee and sea level, I was a, that much better of a pitcher for it because I was executing per- perfectly uh, the way that he had to do in Colorado Springs. So I think if, you know, if a guy can handle it there and, and adjust and figure out how to go about his business, then I think, like you said, the guy on the way up is much better for it. Um, so making a decision with Lopez, uh, say Taylor Youngman, who's trying to make this ball club as a reliever this year, if he doesn't make it as a reliever, do they send him to double-A to start? Do they send him to triple-A to relieve? Do they send him to double-A to relieve? You know, he doesn't even know. Yeah. At least when I talked to him, he didn't know what the plan was. So it's a very very delicate situation, and Stern said it's going to be case-by-case. Case. I think he really has to, and he does, but he, he really has to mean that. It's got to be a number of factors considered, and where they put each guy, it's it's very, very delicate. The only thing, I, w- I would not send Taylor Youngman to AAA to start. I would, if I'm going to send him to AAA, I would possibly consider sending him there as a relief pitcher because it's something different. But I think we've already seen that it doesn't make sense to have him as a starter in Colorado Springs. 100%. Yeah. When he came back up last year, he said that he was not going to talk about that place. He wouldn't even name it when he was back in the clubhouse at the end of the year in September. So he's not, not a big fan of Colorado Springs. Uh, a guy who's really jumped out is uh, Lucas Ersig, and I think he's maybe you know, kind of turned himself into that third baseman of the future, and there's been a lot of people talking about him through uh, through games of Sunday, hitting 417, two home runs, seven RBIs. Obviously, you know, five of those, both those home runs and five of those RBIs did come in one game, so if we're, his numbers aren't quite as impressive from a, a power standpoint and a run-driving-in standpoint if you do remove one game, but he had the, the home run ball that landed on the on the roof. I mean, there's just been some, some good stuff with Ersig. What's your, uh, what's your take on this guy? Is he somebody that's going to be uh, manning the hot corner for the Brewers sooner than later? Well, I'd say it depends on what your definition of sooner is. Um, I had one person on Twitter ask me if Ersig was forcing his way onto the team this year. Yeah, and, and I'm not said, saying well, that. I'm uh, really, right, I mean, right. I know you're not. next year at the very earliest in all likelihood, two or three years down the road. Yeah, yeah. And I told him the guy, like, slow as horses, you know, this is still a process. Um, Rich Hill made minor leaguers look kind of foolish uh, today. He was pitching in a minor league game, and they kind of waved and missed at his curveball an awful lot or watched it because they thought it was going to be outside their zone, and it caught the zone. There's a lot to learn. There's a reason that guys move up the system methodically. Um, yes, some guys do it quicker, um, but there's, you go to low A, and then you go to high A, and then play and triple A. 
It's so that you can get experience at each of those levels of competition so that you hopefully you're ready for the big leagues. But now all that aside, Luke Gersting, second round pick last year, he has been a revelation in camp. Uh, he's always bugging the minor league coaches to get over to the big league side, uh, is what he said on, uh, on a video that was online. And they've let him do that uh, a number of times. He's had a couple of starts. Like normally, his minor league guys that come over, they look really good because at the end of the spring training game, they're playing against other guys that are high A, double A type players. So, Bedersky's gotten a couple of starts, uh, a couple of complete games almost. And really has done well for himself. He's, he's kind of put himself that he's made an impression on the big league coaching staff in front of their faces. And that's one of the best things a young player can do is you come and you perform when it matters the most. And he's that. Uh, so I think to your question, without a shadow of a doubt, in my mind, and granted that's the glass half full uh, Brewers fan guy. Um, but I think Ursaig is a long-term solution at third base, the likes of which this organization hasn't had in a long time. We've seen uh, Mauricio Dubon and, and Hassan Diaz get some time with uh, in some big league games as well. They're both a, a ways away, but they're also individuals that there's a lot of reason to be excited about. What's been your takeaway from what they've been able to do so far? Yeah, Dubon is, is closer uh, than Diaz, of course. Dubon is... Uh, Thought to be the starting shortstop at Double A uh, for the season is what Council said. Um, the reason that Dubon was getting into a lot of games, uh, Council said, "Well, I expect the Double A shortstop to be in big league games in spring training. That's just the way it works." So the fact that he's also making an impression, he's been good defensively, uh, been pretty good at the plate, um, has had a good uh, approach. It seems like a decent knowledge of the strike zone, all that kind of stuff you want to see out of him. And I'm no scout, believe I'm the first one to admit that. Uh, but other people that are <laughs> scouts and have respected voices in uh, that area are very high on Mauricio Dubon. They're saying he's the real, uh, real piece in that trade um, that the Brewers hopefully will benefit from uh, for a number of years down the road, whether that's at second base uh, in the big leagues or ultimately as a utility player, wherever he ends up fitting in, maybe in center field, even we said. Uh, obviously, they're very deep in the outfield. Anyway, I digress. Um, but he's made a, a good impression as well, and I think I saw him a little bit when I was there, and uh, he looks like a baseball player. And I made a joke the other day online that this is somebody who looks like a baseball player. Well, he's in the uniform, right? So that's why he looks like one. But, <laughs> um, you know, it's it's a phrase that, that gets used, but he just he plays his position well. He's fluid on defense, and uh, I don't know much about the hitting mechanics of the world, but um, he's doing good things for my, my untrained eye. And with Isan Diaz, uh, a guy that came over in the Jim Segura deal with Arizona, uh, again, the Jim that deal, that also brought Eric Cohen and Chase Anderson, um, but Diaz was, was the reason they made that deal. And what he did last year uh, at Class A Wisconsin, and what he stands, looks like he's going to be ready to do this year, uh, probably starting with uh, High Carolina, the new affiliate. Um, he's another guy that's on the rise. Uh, he could be a long-term second-base option. Uh, whether or not Jonathan VR signs an extension, as they talked about earlier this offseason. Uh, obviously, you guys covered it on the podcast here. Um, the fact that he turned it down for his arbitration years. Regardless of when that gets done, VR is the type of guy who is, either can go into a utility role with this team if he's still here, he trades the prospects down the road. Uh, but again, Isan Diaz looks like a long-term solution as well. Granted, like you said, these guys are decently far away. Diaz even more so. 
but so far they've shown the collection of tools that makes the scouts very happy to write about these players, and hopefully uh, they're going to be among the first wave. I think the first wave of prospects is these outfielders that we talked about in AAA, uh, Cordell, Brenton, Phillips, those guys, um, and Hayter. That's going to be the first wave of prospects to hit. Uh, but Diaz, Dubon, hopefully they're going to be in their second and maybe even third wave of guys that keep coming up. Stearns has talked about wanting to build that sustainable pipeline of talent, and these guys are, are big parts of that. All right, last thing for you, uh, Corey Ray, another guy who's quite some time away, even as aggressive as they seemingly want to push him through the system. He's still, it's going to be a little while until he's playing games at, at Miller Park. He's been around big league camp, hasn't appeared in any big league games, but he's been around. For a guy who was just drafted last year, for a guy who uh, there's so much expectation upon what he's going to do for this organization going forward, what does he get out of just being around yeah, the, the fifth overall pick last year, right? Corey Ray had accolades. Uh, Keith Law of ESPN, uh, not to mention a competitor, <laughs> but uh, he said that he had Corey Ray as the best talent in the draft, and he would have picked him first overall. So the fact that the Brewers have a player with this type of profile uh, is only a good thing. And Ray's been rehabbing knee injury, obviously, which is why he didn't appear in any games. He himself in instructs last year in the instructional league in the fall. Um, but he's told me he was on target for mid-April assignments, whether that's improved or, or regressed a little bit since then, I don't know. Um, but to, to be where he is uh, or where he has been before he got officially sent over to the minor leagues, had to continue his rehab, but he said that he's able to get so much for being in the clubhouse, again, seeing how these guys go about their business and prepare, watching these outfielders uh, shag fly balls, uh, take BP, just everything that they do to make themselves better, uh, to make themselves major league caliber, major league ready. Uh, the fact that he has Ryan Braun in the clubhouse to bend his ear and just talk shop with, that's invaluable to a guy who's just learning how to you know, really perform as a professional. And in Porter Reese's case, what I like even more so, he gets to apply all of that to his knowledge. They challenged him after the draft and sent him straight to high A. And then yeah, he went back down to class, uh, you know, low A Wisconsin to help them out with their playoff push. Um, but he really, out of the gates, went to a tough offensive environment and performed pretty well. He may start there again this year, not that you asked, <laughs> uh, but he may start down there again this season. But just to be able to take the knowledge that he's getting uh, from being in the clubhouse, but also being in the dugout. You know, he's been sitting in uniform in the dugout, talking with guys, talking over situations that happened in the game, uh, talking over what people saw at the plate. Uh, talking over, you know, what he saw out of this pitch and that picture. Um, how do you deal with, you know, the defense on this play? What was the call here? How do you position yourself? All the stuff that goes into, you know, the the intricacies of playing defense and and as a plate in a baseball game. The fans don't always see when they're just watching on TV or even watching in the ballpark. You know, he's able to combine all of that, and I think that it's going to benefit Corey Ray and all these young guys so much uh, for the fact that they are able to experience it and just, you know, put it to use in their everyday games once they start, you know, come early April. He is uh, Adam Rigg of the Brewer Nation, the Grand Pumbaa of uh, of uh, the Brewer Nation. Follow him on Twitter, at Brewer Nation. Also, uh, head to thebrewernation.com. He also is a contributor to uh, FanRag Sports and has been uh, fairly busy on that uh, recently as well. Adam, always good to talk to you. We'll get you on again here uh, very soon. Thanks, Matt. Looking forward to it. And if I don't talk to you before then, we'll see you on opening day. 
That is Adam Rigg from the Brewer Nation joining us here on Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Starting to wrap things up, the schedule for this week, Monday is an off day. In fact, they will have back-to-back Mondays off. This is the first off day for the Brewers since uh, Tuesday the 7th, so they have played almost two straight weeks of baseball. They get the off day on Monday the 20th. The schedule for the week uh, on Tuesday, they will play a road matchup against the Dodgers. Then they're back in Maryville against the Giants on the 22nd. On Wednesday, on Thursday, they actually play back-to-back-to-back road games on Thursday, Friday, Saturday. A's, Reds, Royals, and then on Sunday, they're at home against the A's. As far as our broadcast schedule for this week, we'll have uh, games on 620 WTMJ. Wednesday, Thursday, and Saturday. Wednesday against Maryville, or Wednesday in Maryville against San Francisco, I should say. Thursday, they're in Mesa to take on Oakland, and Saturday, they're in Surprise to take on uh, Kansas City. And that uh, will leave just one spring training broadcast for you left on Saturday, April 1st from Miller Park when they take on the Chicago White Sox in an exhibition. So actually, this Saturday, March 25th, that will be the final spring training broadcast uh, from Arizona as the regular season is certainly, certainly, certainly right around the corner. All right, that is it for uh, this week's edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My thanks to uh, Adam Rigg from uh, the Brewer Nation and FanRag Sports. Follow him on Twitter at Brewer Nation. Appreciate him uh, sticking with us for a couple segments today, and we look forward to talking to you again next week for another edition. This has been Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. Always love to hear from folks uh, on Twitter at Matt Pauley Radio, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y Radio. We'll talk to you again next week here on Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.